0: I started to recognize that not only um, am I codependent, but I've been codependent like I grew up in a family of origin that was a breeding ground for codependency. And so the relationship that I chose in retrospect, right, because everything that that I've learned is in retrospect, in looking back, I could see so clearly, oh my gosh, that's why I chose the person that I chose. That's why I experienced all of these things. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank.
1: Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. I am here today with Dr. K.J. Foster, the founder and CEO of Fostering Resilience. Welcome to the show, Dr. Foster.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you for coming. I was so excited about this episode. Uh, I had a conversation with you last week and we discussed your story and the book that you wrote about fostering resilience and the role of the family in recovery. And I'd like to just discuss that with you today because there were so many great little points that you brought up and that are in your book about the role of the family in addiction, uh, the role of the person, the activities, everything. Why don't you dive in, tell us a little bit about your story and about how you came up with this.
0: Okay. Well, it's a long story, so I'll try to make it as brief as possible. But as the result of my my own personal recovery, I'm recovered for uh, going on almost 13 years. It will be 13 years in July. And uh, I also have a son who is recovered from a drug addiction. And uh, prior to my own recovery and my son experiencing his addiction. I was married for uh, for over 17 years to someone who struggled with addiction and codependency was probably my very first addiction <laughs> that I experienced. So I went from this codependent relationship of trying to fix him which of course didn't work and it only made me sicker and the situation worse so that ultimately led to the the demise of that relationship and then um after that was when i myself started to as a trauma of that whole experience i started to struggle with my own drinking And that was tied into also my son um, starting to experience uh, and starting to dabble in um, his own drug use. So the codependency continued (laughs) and the codependency is really, I believe, was a significant factor in me becoming ultimately addicted to alcohol because I just got sicker and sicker and sicker and started to turn to alcohol more and more. And um, so I got sober first. My son got um, sober when I was 14 months sober. And I learned so much as a result of that experience. And I decided, ultimately, when I was just, just shy of two years uh, to change careers. And I already had a master's degree in mental health that I had never pursued and decided I was going to go back to school, update my master's. Eventually I went on to get my PhD, but I wanted to give back. I wanted to help others in, 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 um, a significant way. I mean, more so than just sponsoring other women. I, Mm -hmm. there was so much that I had learned about the role of the family that I thought that that was a really important message
1: to, to get out there. When, when you first, you mentioned the first, sign that something was not right was the codependency. At the time, did you realize it was codependency? Or did you just think, well, this is bad luck? Because a lot of people who, you know, have addiction issues or in a family with addiction, they just think, well, I was just a bad set of circumstances. Right?
0: No, I had no idea. And and that's the thing about codependency. And is that people, there's a, um, there's denial that comes into play. Some people are are so codependent. And if you try to tell them that they're codependent, they will absolutely deny that they are in any way, shape, or form codependent. Mm-hmm. I myself had never heard of codependency. I didn't know until uh, I was first getting sober and my very first sponsor gave me the book, The Language of Letting Go, The Daily Reader. And I started reading that that daily reader. And I was blown away. Uh, I identified so much with everything that she was talking about in this book. And that was the first um, exposure that I had to this concept of codependency. And from from that point on in learning and reading uh, Melody Beattie's books, and I started to recognize that not only um, am I codependent, but I've been codependent like I grew up in a family of origin that was a breeding ground for codependency and so the relationship that i chose in retrospect right because everything that that i've learned is in retrospect and looking back i could see so clearly oh my gosh that's why i chose the person that i chose that's why i experienced all of these things but it's the classic we don't know what we don't know until we know it right and it for me it was very there wasn't really any denial that was there it was i was really grateful to to learn like this is what my issue has been this is why i've been suffering the way that i've been suffering and started to learn ways in which i could start to heal that that codependency and and so there is this denial that comes into play at least with some family members that i've met so i i compare it to Uh, as being very similar to the substance use disorder experience, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, now we don't refer as often, or at least clinically, we don't refer to addiction as addiction, uh, as alcoholism, as drug addiction. We refer to it as a substance use disorder because it just, um, it's a better way of describing because there are so many different Variations, right? There's so mm-hmm. many different mm-hmm. characteristics that come into play, and and it's it's um, diagnosed uh, as mild, moderate, or severe. And so when we're talking about a severe substance use disorder, that's when we're really talking about like addiction, right? Because negative consequences are coming into play. I believe that codependency exists on the same type of a spectrum. Like that, you know, you could be mildly codependent, you could be moderately, or you could be severely codependent. And I am someone that became over time very severely codependent. And that's when we start to experience those progressive symptoms.
1: So a lot of people would say, you know, just listening to your story in your, you know, really you have a lot of education and it's in this area, right? Yeah. Uh, A lot of people would say, well, did you just identify that? Did that make it easier for you? Because a lot happened for you in a short period of time, you get sober, you get this PhD, you then all of a sudden are dealing with a son that is going through addiction issues what was going through your mind then well okay
0: so let me just back up for a minute so that it's clear to people that i didn't just like experience this and got my phd and boom i like know all this information i um was very fortunate so my son and i we were we went through a very traumatic Uh, The divorce uh, from my ex-husband was very traumatic for myself, for uh, my two children at at the time. And um, because I have three now, I'm remarried and we have three together. But at the time, it was a very traumatic experience. And my son, my oldest son... And I responded to it in very similar ways in terms of the reaching out for the substance. And so we were like parallel on our path of addiction and and I got sober first and then he was able to get sober when I was 16 months sober, so so that was all great. He actually, he's that was when he was 19 years old. He stayed clean and sober for about six or seven years and then experienced two relapses and now is approaching at 31 years old for almost four years of recovery solid, like better than ever. This is an example of where relapse. Um, is beneficial sometimes you sometimes need to be able to look at your program so besides that i know i have a tendency to go off on these little tangents but i'm getting there just wait it's Good, for it. i like just,
1: it I like trust it. me
0: wait for it so um when i decided to to with the encouragement of my current husband, who I met in recovery at about 16 months sober, we started dating and he encouraged me to uh, go back to school and to pursue um, working in the field. And at the time he was working in the field and I had the opportunity to work at the treatment center where he was working um, as an intern. And so I went there as an intern and right, right away I was exposed to working with a gentleman named Terry Gorsi. And I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, he just passed away this year, unfortunately, but he uh, is very well known in the field in that he specializes in relapse prevention. He wrote over 30 books on the subject of recovery. And I got to work with him. For, you know, he taught me relapse prevention. I became advanced certified. We conducted groups together for over two years. And I immediately, aside from doing that work with him, I was thrown into working with families because of my experience, because of my own recovery, my son, um, and that experience, and so right away, I started working on a regular basis with other family members. So I have a ton of experience of meeting other family members and seeing um, you know, codependency right in front of me, you know, at work, and helping them to learn the skills and the tools and the um, the ways in which, they can change in order to help their loved one to be successful. Because I think that there's yeah. such a critical key there, right? There's a critical key. Family members can make it harder or they can, or they can, you know, contribute to success. And sometimes they're contributing to making it more difficult for their loved one, and they don't even have any idea that that's what they're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, what would you say that the signs are that somebody is in a relationship or they're in a family situation and that they are codependent. Because you know, there is a lot of trauma when a family member is at the point where they're either admitting or it's evident to everyone because people that have addiction problems are really good at hiding things for long periods of time. Right. Tip typically. Mm -hmm. And then things blow up and of course people are going to be upset. Of course there's going to be you know, it's going to kind of rock people's world. But right. how do you know, what are the signs that there is some underlying dysfunction there before that?
0: They're managing their loved one's life. They're managing their addiction. They're trying to manage their recovery if they're, you know, if they ventured into treatment. And so, I mean, that is the the definition of codependency. Codependency is when you are, in my opinion, in severe codependency when you're addicted, you can use the word obsessed, but Mm -hmm. when you are um, obsessed with controlling somebody else's life. So you're taking on responsibility for that person's life. You're taking on the responsibility for their substance use disorder. You're taking on the responsibility for their consequences. You're, you're trying to manage their life for them instead of allowing them yeah. to manage their own life and being this autonomous, separate person that just supports when asked or when necessary. You know, People that are codependent don't wait for somebody else to ask them for help. They jump in and so, help before you know anybody even asked them to well so.
1: I, i'd always heard that that um codependents needed alcoholics like alcoholics needed a drink that there is this uh, th- that there's this compulsion uh for them to rescue fix and make everything okay um right. how do you see that playing out in a family like so when you're working with a family that has this, what, what are the steps that you take to try to unravel this? Because this seems so, uh, I'm just going to use the term unmanageable. It seems like, yeah. what do you do? Because there's layers and layers and layers of dysfunction. Right. What's What's a step that people can take to kind of break out of this?
0: Right. Well, it starts with education because- Really, the awareness is the beginning, right? So many people have no idea that they're even codependent. They have no idea that these behaviors and it's a pattern of behavior, right? It's a dysfunctional pattern of behavior. They have no idea, uh, no awareness that this is a problem. They think they're helping. <laughs> mm-hmm. They think they're doing something good and positive. And you know, it. I want to just point out that. There are so many different characteristics to codependency that I don't want somebody to think that you know if you have these characteristics that means you're. I mean, it, it, there's such a like substance use disorder. There's such a broad spectrum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I will say, having said that, that there's some commonality. So it, it's it's common that if you grew up in a family of origin, right where. You were defined by what other people said and did, and you know, like you weren't allowed to have your own thoughts or how you felt was not um, validated or even allowed, you know, for that matter. Then you learned to identify yourself through the eyes of someone else, and I think this is where the the pattern of behavior comes in, where you um. Because this other person represents a part of you, then you get addicted to fixing that person. Because if you just fix that person, then you know, then that um, that uh, ties into your own uh, feeling of self worth and self esteem. And there's a lot of, to, um, you know, there's a lot of guilt that comes into play with codependency. Like for instance. You know, maybe if you're a spouse or a, a parent, where you felt like you have these feelings, if you're just good enough, like you're not being a good enough parent, so you're trying to overhelp your your loved one, and and not realizing that overdoing, that overgiving, that over um, anything, whether it's paying their bills or just you know getting them out of uh, difficult situations or making it easier for them. We make it easier for our loved one. We don't allow the struggle. Like they, I just did a a video recently on the importance of the struggle. Like it's so important to allow your loved one to struggle. And that's the hard part of codependency is when we're codependent, that uncomfortability of our loved one, maybe not, not being uh, happy with us, you know, because we identify ourselves through the eyes of that person. And if they're angry with us or upset with us, then that's not comfortable. And so we avoid that discomfort by making sure we're making everything okay with that person. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And I, I, you know, one of the things that have, that really kind of hits me when you talk about codependency is it seems to me that recovering from codependency is almost more difficult than recovering from the substance Mm -hmm. because these lines are very blurred. And if you don't have a real, you know, a a lot of people, you know, obviously people who have been in recovery for some time know that not drinking or using drugs is not necessarily an indication of the best sobriety, right? right? But you can at least gauge it by the fact that, well, I haven't used a substance today, right? Whereas <laughs> codependency, I could I could see where you could easily be sucked up into codependency and not even realize it.
0: Right, right. It's one of those things that you really have to, at least for me, I have to keep out in front of me constantly because I can fall back into old patterns of behavior. And the it's true with you know, a substance use disorder, you you can, because I, I, I don't buy into this, like, oh, you're forever powerless. That's, mm-hmm, I mean, just mm-hmm. personally, uh, I don't. I, you know, I consider myself uh, recovered from my substance, my, you know, functioning, my life, um, every aspect of my life is is better than it ever mm-hmm. was before. And, and I talk about in The Warrior's Guide to Successful Sobriety, this, this, um fourth level uh that you get to that a lot of people don't uh ever try to reach you know the emotional peace the emotional yeah. sobriety that um is so important i think that's what really helps us to achieve that peace and that contentment and um all of the, the those wonderful uh aspects of full and true recovery. And so there are plenty of people that are physically, you know, recovered, physically abstinent that are still angry and irritable Mm -hmm. and discontent. And that comes from the emotional piece. Codependency on the other hand is, is something that I believe you, you never fully recover from. Um, I, I believe that for myself, if at least if you've reached the severe if you've, you know, I don't like to, I know I, u- I use the cross the line, so to speak, the, yeah. you know, um, cucumber to the pickle, I think is yeah. the analogy. Well, with codependency, once you've gotten to that severe level of codependency, there, there's just... Um, It's always going to be there. And so, my husband is somebody that is my accountability partner. And he'll say to me sometimes when he sees me doing things, he'll say, "Mm, Because I will with my son, I'll fall into doing things before he asks me, you know, and he'll remind me, he'll say, Did he ask you to do that? Like, you don't need to do that. Like, if wait until he asks you. And if he asks you, then, you know, provide help. Um, And so I, you know, even though I'm like way down that scale, I'm on the very mild end now, it's still there. And I think that's because of the, you know, growing up in that family of origin where it's steeped, like deep in the fiber of my being, you know, that, and that's really hard to go from, from, you know, that being such an ingrained part of who you are to just never experiencing codependency again. I, I just but don't. But I think,
1: think that I, I I think the thing that's interesting though, and what's what's really refreshing about this is that you, you're saying that there is ways though that you can identify that that you identify that more now. So you oh, kind of sure. see you you've built a you've built a structure around you that will identify when you're in trouble or going down that path.
0: Right. Well, that and that's why, of course, CODA is so um beneficial to so many people yeah. is because you have a there are plenty of people who are codependent who aren't in a relationship with somebody who has a substance use disorder. It used to be years ago, like 50 years ago when you know codependency first came about, this this term codependent, which um, you know, there I, I think there's controversy as to like who came up with it, how it Evolved, but it definitely has evolved over the years. It used to be um, somebody that was codependent was was considered to be the person who's in a relationship with someone who's chemically dependent. They're the codependent. But we've come to realize, just like you know, we've realized so much about substance use disorders over the years, that codependent, you can be codependent and uh, with somebody at work, with a friend. You know, if you look at Melody Beattie's definition of codependency, Mm -hmm. which is the being obsessed with controlling somebody else's behavior. She doesn't refer to substance use disorders or anything in her definition because the truth is you can be codependent with, with, generally it's somebody who's uh, needy um dependent, you know, struggling, and you feel this need to help them or fix them or you know taking over the responsibility of their life. That doesn't have to be somebody with a substance but if you've disorder. been but
1: if you've been in recovery for a while, you you kind of I think it's a general understanding that people who are on the spectrum of codependency, let's say, that are very codependent and lean towards that way are attracted right. To people who have substance abuse problems, a lot of the times yeah. it's also it's almost a magnetic force, right? And the people who right. have substance abuse are attracted to people who are codependent, right? And and so it fits together like two pieces in a puzzle, right? And yeah. so it seems so right for them that 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 is the way that it should be, but it's not. And and I loved how you talked about it being inherited, and also this kind of next level with your Warriors Guide of sobriety. And I I I say this a lot in in my experience in sponsoring over several decades and Mm -hmm. coaching. What what I find is is that there's a lot of people that are stuck in recovery in what I call church basement thinking. They have they're they're sober. They are sober. They've even maybe done a 12-step program. They've they they have a little bit of a network but they haven't really taken the leap. They're still getting into bad relationships, always mm-hmm. in conflict, not really able to have steady employment. And you can really see this by the people that they attract around them. And many of the people, it's because they have they are sober, but they've never dealt with their codependency issues.
0: Right. They, they've either not dealt with their codependency issues or it's, it's the emotional intelligence piece. You know, it's yeah. the... They've not um, been able to address their uh, their inability to deal with uncomfortable emotions. You know, they have the weak prefrontal cortex where the emotions completely override any level of intellect that is there. So this is where the um, you know the emotional intelligence really. There's research studies out there that. Indicate that emotional intelligence above all else, above IQ, is the determinant of success, whether, you know, how successful you are as a human being. And, and, uh, you know, you look at the way substance use disorders impact the prefrontal cortex. They impact the brain. And you know there are people that are that are born with weak prefrontal cortexes and and then you add substance use disorders to that and there's no wonder that people can't handle their emotions. And that's, I think, Aside from the codependency piece, I think that there, that is um, a big part for a lot of people, but I think it's just also, there are a lot of people who don't have the ability to, to deal with their emotions in a healthy way. They're still acting out in ways that are hurtful towards themselves and, and towards others.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people watching this too. That maybe identify it's like, oh, I don't, I really could go further with this emotional intelligence. And a lot of times in recovery, the next thing that they do is beat themselves up. And I think you would agree, right? That this is an unpacking, this is an unfolding. This happens yeah. over a period of time. This isn't yeah. going to happen your first year of sobriety necessarily, no. that just staying sober sometimes the first year or two years or three years and and working little by little, I I always call it, it's a half a percent game, right? Just a little bit at a, at a time when you turn around years later, you will be pretty far down the road.
0: Right. Right. Well, because if you, if you know anything about post-acute withdrawals, which lasts an average of 18 years, 18 years, 18 months, sorry. 18 years would be a long time. <laughs> that would be a long months. time. <laughs> 18 months average, right? So that means I would say nobody gets by with less than a year, right? Like it takes a year at least for the brain to heal. Some people it takes two to three years for the brain to fully heal. And so you're going to be experiencing those um, those symptoms you know, that the, the stress and the irritability and the sleeplessness you know that's going to come and go. So I, I think that the ability to really work on that emotional piece, the benefits that come from looking at ourselves in, in a way that most people are not willing to look mm-hmm. at themselves because it's so uncomfortable. You know, it's a, it it's really hard. It's really hard to, to get honest with ourselves sometimes. And so some people just don't want to be uncomfortable. They don't want to do that uncomfortable work. So they just, you know, they don't pick up the substance, but they're really not living to their full potential. They're really not maximizing the, um, the benefits of sobriety because the there are so many like incredible benefits, but one of the most incredible for me has been this comfortability in my own skin. You know, being able to deal with difficult emotions without, you know, acting out toward harm in harmful ways towards myself and other people. Being able to like sit with those difficult emotions and think through them and, you know, um, and respond <laughs> rather than react. And that takes time. That takes a lot of practice when you've been bombarding your brain with drugs and alcohol for so many years.
1: Well, this has been an amazing episode. I would like to thank you, Dr. Foster, for spending the time with us. Where where can they find out more about you and your books?
0: on my website so there are two ways to reach my website they both go to the same spot but you can go to www.drkjfoster.org or you can go to www.frprogram like fostering resilience frprogram.com and um they can also so my books are available on the website but they're also available on amazon amazon and other Local retailers as well.
1: Excellent, so they can go onto Amazon and purchase those books. Yes, mm-hmm. great. Whatever's Excellent. Most
0: comfortable. If they purchase it through me on my website, the the only thing that I say is that it might take a little longer. That's all, depending upon the day. <laughs>
1: <So>. Exactly. Well, <laughs> this has been a great conversation. We're also going to continue the conversation on RecoveredLife.us, and uh, we're going to put uh, the contact information that uh, Dr. Fox Foster. Just mentioned there as well. Thank you so much. Been a great episode.
0: Thank you. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.